when you're wearing that hat, you back the person. You have to trust the person. You have to back their vision and their ambition, and you assume what they say is true. Because things are at such an early stage, you do not do that in real estate. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Zane Jaffer. Zane is joining us from San Francisco, California. He is a general partner in Bluefield Capital and focuses on multifamily, hospitality, senior care, and industrial. Zane's portfolio consists of 400 units in a family office and over 4,000 units in Bluefield Capital. Zane, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on the show. Awesome. Zane, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, I came formally from the tech industry after having an exit. So what do tech people do when they make money? They get out of tech and diversify into real estate after listening to all these podcasts. So I followed that journey and I started off myself buying single family rentals, doing a lot of hard money lending with construction loans, buying multifamily apartments as well, and investing as an LP in a variety of funds. And it wasn't until some time passed, and I had a lot of heartache, by the way, investing in third-party funds. You're paying these management fees, you're paying acquisition fees, you're giving a, a share of the profits to someone else. It wasn't until some time passed that I realized, wow, some of these funds I've invested in are totally outperforming everything I'm doing personally. That's when I decided you'd just be smarter to take a lot of the money I have and just give it more to funds. And I decided, let me join one of these funds, which is Bluefield Capital. And so I joined their platform and now I've been investing as a general partner at Bluefield, where I've got a lot of my own money in the fund. But I'm also managing other people's money, and we've acquired quite a good portfolio since 2014. And what was Bluefield Capital before you joined? Was it primarily multifamily? No, Bluefield's pretty diversified, all the asset classes you mentioned. Okay. I think since I've joined, and that sort of coincides with the big trends that we're seeing with COVID, the landscape's changed. So now we're doing things like ground up construction of townhomes because there's more demand for more space and more land. There's new types of geographies that are really emerging because of the whole work from home movement or because there's more job security and more employment. We're also looking at some new types of asset classes and I call them new. I call single family new because it's becoming institutionalized. So Bluefield's also looking to do more of that. Industrial has been really big, and we're also looking at experimental asset classes like ghost kitchens as well. Incredible. Zane, how many years between when you had your exit and started as a partner in Bluefield? Probably about one and a half years. Okay. And in that one and a half years, how did you figure out who to invest with? You know, at the beginning, you asked for referrals and introductions. You obviously know the big names. So you're more comfortable putting money in with some of the big names. Like I invested with Blackstone, I invested with Bridge, RXR. You also have some capital. For example, I had a big exit from selling my tech company. I wanted to sort of shelter some of those capital gains. So I invested in some opportunity zones as well. And then you're sitting with all this cash in the bank. You're obviously deploying it into the markets, but interest rates are so low. And what I love about real estate is cash flow. So then you get approached with a lot of individual projects. And I started investing project by project, trying to understand what is it that these guys are doing. At the same time, I actually listened to a lot of podcasts and 
just thought, let me just jump in and do something small locally. Let me just start buying some single family rentals. And it was just a mix of everything. I was trying to figure out what do I want to do? And I had a lot of capital to deploy. And so I just started moving, made a lot of mistakes in the process. But I think that's the route for everyone. A few mistakes later, you eventually wise up and you, you actually figure out what not to do. So you try to do things that make sense after a while. Zane, what was your biggest mistake that you made? Oh, I think it's a mistake I'm still paying the consequences for today. I focus too much on metrics like cap rates. Or for me, I'm Indian, okay? And being an Indian person, and I'm East Indian, we're very tight with money. We've got this reputation. So we love value. And I was obsessed with metrics like price per square foot. I'm one of the guys that when I go to buy my own home, I'm trying to get a bargain. I want to offer way below the listing price. And I want to calculate the average square foot price is this much in the neighborhood. Here's what I got it for. Big mistake. You get what you pay for. And sometimes it's worth paying a premium or worth paying market rates. And that's the mistake I'm still learning today or dealing with the mistakes. So your tech background coupled with being Indian defined a lot of your decisions. (laughs) Awesome. So how did you join Bluefield Capital? So I joined Bluefield when I had already invested in numerous projects just amazed at some of the returns, you know, they've generated a a realized, so not unrealized, a realized net IRR of about mid 30 percentage points since 2014. So that's one hell of a track record. And when I was speaking to a lot of operators, I felt the Bluefield team were different because they were very conservative. Their view was just always be deploying, but deploy carefully. You can't necessarily time the markets. Things do feel frothy, but going slow. And I was like, guys, I've got capital deploy. Can you take some money and get me returns? And we're like, no, we can't right now. We have a feeling more opportunities will come up. And I just like that conservative nature that they had. And the other thing was they had very little tech. They'd achieved all of these returns with the old school mentality of relationships, relationships with vendors, relationships with agents and buyers they've worked with in the past. And I thought to myself, well, if I can bring some of my technical expertise you can bring some of that magic you see with these large institutional funds like a Blackstone. No one has the infrastructure like a Blackstone has, right? But these smaller funds, and I thought, well, I can join these guys. I can get them a website to start with, (laughs) right? And start bringing in some technology and being smarter with how we buy things and scale up what we're doing. We'll get back to the show in a few minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll get some value in learning more about. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive Invest investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Mark your calendars for the best ever conference, February 24th through 26th, back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group 
to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. You can get 15% off right now with the code BEC15 at besteverconference.com. That's the code BEC15 for 15% off at besteverconference.com. Did you have to pitch them to become a GP? Because they have to be thinking, who is Zane Jaffer? Why should I partner with him? I actually approached him and said, guys, I'm struggling. I've got these tenants. I own a bunch of multifamily assets through my family office, 400 of them in Texas. A lot of workforce housing and tertiary markets. I contacted them. I was like, guys, I'm kind of struggling right now. I'm having a hard time collecting rents. We've got a lot of delinquency. We've got high occupancy, but people just aren't paying rents. And I've never dealt with this before. I'm I'm new to real estate. And here I am on paper thinking things look great. And I buy the buildings and I realize, crap, cash flow is not there. And now I should have bought something that was 50% occupied rather than 90%, where half the tenant base isn't even paying. So they coached me through that. And we decided, why don't I partner with you guys? You guys can sort of be advisors to me. And then after realizing we had shared values, Realizing that I needed something that was different than me, like I'm this aggressive, ambitious guy that's so impatient. I want things immediately, like in tech, right? You get it done quickly. You keep executing. You got to throw that playbook away when you go to real estate. You have got to take a very different approach. Thought I'd learned from the team and decided, hey, COVID just hit. There are these opportunities that are going to come out. Why don't we just partner up? Let's set up a fund. I'll join you guys full time. I sort of gave the pitch and they thought about it and they said, you know what? It actually makes sense. We think it'd be a good partnership and and haven't looked back since. Kind of wish I had done all that before I made my mistakes. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm still trying to understand this. So you joined them full-time. Was that a paid position? Well, I'm a GP, right? So you don't really take a salary as a GP. You're taking your management fees. You're taking your acquisition fees. You have a share in the partnerships, a share in the LLC. And your value add was bringing the tech to the table. Bringing the tech to the table, bringing a more fresh perspective, I'd say, wanting to learn real estate. They didn't have already a base in, in the San Francisco region and the tech area. But yeah, sort of a mix of things. How many other GPs were there? There's four other GPs. Okay. So not a huge conglomerate. No, and that's what I liked about it. They were just big enough where I could make a meaningful amount of money myself and deploy a meaningful amount, but small enough where there was still room at the table for me. If they were an order of magnitude larger, there's no way I would have had a skin in the game, you could say. Yeah, I assume they were larger just because of the different asset classes they were in. Yes. And I have to ask, when you started in real estate and you acquired your properties, did you have these rosy projections on spreadsheets Uh, of the three and five years and how much, how many millions of dollars you were going to gain? Man, I had rosy projections day one thinking, wow, this seller is dumb. I'm here and I figured it out. The broker's telling me this is a great deal. You should really, really do this. And here I am, rosy eyed, thinking, wow. And then I'm looking at my family office portfolio and I've got some bonds that are yielding some 1%, right? I'm looking here, I'm like, oh my God, this thing can cash flow immediately. And so this is the problem when you have a tech guy or an entrepreneur coming into real estate. In tech, and even investing in tech, because I'm also a venture capitalist. At Bluefoot, I studied the venture capital fund as well when we invest in prop tech startups. That was another value that I brought. But when you're wearing that hat, you back the person. You have to trust the person. You have to back their vision and their ambition. And you assume what they say is true because things are at such an early stage. You do not do that in real estate. The last thing you want to do is to think, I really like this uh, seller. He's really ambitious. He's bold. And here I am getting a deal. No, 
everything that's said, you just throw it away and you do your own underwriting, your own models. You don't take what you hear at face value. And that was the mistake that I made. And the partner that I had at the time also trusting in that partner too. So, hey, you learn. Trust but verify, I think, is the key term that's now used. And I think that's the case. And it's definitely hard for a lot of tech people when they come in. The other thing is too, when your Bay Area number of calls, tertiary market, and it's the 650 or 415 area code, they know, haha, money's calling. Suddenly, <laughs> suddenly the price is up 20, 30% when you ask, what's this going for? <laughs> You're not kidding. I'm in the Midwest. And our goal, personally, my goal is if I'm going to sell a property, I try to market it to coastal buyers because <laughs> they're just not used to the types of returns that we have here. Right. Yeah. So Zane, hospitality, multifamily, senior care, and industrial, and then ghost kitchens as well, you mentioned. How do you guys look for value-add opportunities without getting overwhelmed? Oh, we've had to be very nimble and you can do that when you're small. And once you find a really good partner, Bluefield's approach is to partner a lot with other funds to co-invest often or to find vendors you really like and you've had a track record with. So we know some really good hotel operators who have performed for us historically. So we're very comfortable when they underwrite a project for us. They're not only being held account to those numbers, we've seen them perform consistently We're comfortable. We're a lot more comfortable with their projections, even if it's lower than some third-party management firm we don't know. Same with multifamily. We also have some partnerships with some construction developers who have really performed for us. And when we see them, we think to ourselves, let's go in as a partnership here. You guys put some money into the project as well, so the skin in the game. We'll bring the majority of the capital in our balance sheet, our lending, our relationships, and our deal sourcing And let's partner here and let's start doing this new asset class. So Bluefield's done a lot relative to a lot of firms because a lot of firms will just focus on one geography or one type of asset class in real estate. And I think that's the way to succeed. But for Bluefield, because of the depth of the relationships they have, they've partnered with a lot of funds, de-risked things and built expertise quite broadly. What that's done for us too is that we were very multifamily focused heading into COVID. And multifamily has been impossible for us. Although we bought a couple of apartments through 2020, we must have made 100 straight offers that were rejected because the market's heating up. There's a flight to safety in multifamily. People are abandoning or were abandoning retail and office. We had expertise in hospitality, for example. So that was a sector where we realized, okay, we're struggling with multifamily, but we have some experience in hospitality. Let's double down on that. So it's literally this simple. You know, we have an offsite as a team. It's a small team, six, seven people. We meet somewhere because the team spread out across the U.S. and we write on a whiteboard. Hey, guys, let's put down what our relationships are. Let's put down what our strengths are. Our strengths are multifamily, but we're not winning here. So let's look at where else we can play. And we can move very quickly. And after one offsite, small team, quick decisions, we're outbidding and winning. And larger firms are just entrenched or specialist players are stuck. I feel sorry for the multifamily guys who had this to themselves And now institutions are coming in and paying three, 4% cap rates. And the way people are underwriting, it's mind boggling. Yeah, I agree. Uh, 3% cap rates in Southwest. Hard to make money when you do that. So what percentage of your capital deployed is in your own deals versus partners deals? Bluefoot, 100% of the deals are our own deals. Initially, Bluefoot used to be more of a fund of fund. Okay. We invest as an LP. Now everything we do is a GP role. Ah, got it. Okay. 
we're going to do anything with another fund, typically we want to see a clean 50-50 share of the GP. So I'm glad you're talking about this. People don't talk about this enough on podcasts. It's easy to say I want to partner with someone else. People use the word partner so casually and liberally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll give you a 1% share of the GP. Or we'll give you an assignment fee. That's not a true partnership. We don't want to work with someone where we don't have a say in the project. We want to have a pretty good say in the project. We want to have control of the project. If we're not going to get more than a 50% share, we want to have at least a 50% share. That way, if you run a fund and I run a fund, I know you're in the market. You know I'm in the market. Guess what? We're bidding against each other every time. It makes no sense. You and me, we're similar sized funds. Let's just partner together and do more deals together. So if you have a deal that you like, I expect you to bring it to me and vice versa. And we've done that. We've got deals where we could fund in a heartbeat, but we'll go to our partners and we'll say, look, you brought us the last deal. We really want to build a relationship in these three, four markets with you. Let's work together. And you sit down and you realize, okay, they're better at managing the asset than we are. We have better lending relationships than they do. Oh, they also have a really good inside contact here. And, and then you just match up and one plus one is more than two here. And in real estate, it doesn't have to be three. One plus one can be 2.3 because of the leverage involved. The returns are beautiful. Yeah, that's so important. What you just said, where you share your deals, you reward other people that brought you deals and yes. you continue to build those relationships, which is appearing to be the foundation of how Bluefield is successful. Absolutely. And once that's ingrained as a culture, I find real estate's too much about information symmetry. Every firm, every man or woman for themselves. There's so much opportunity out there that we all win if we share in that upside together. And it's a zero-sum game, frankly. Either you buy it or I buy it. So why don't we both partner together and buy it together if we can? Especially when I bid and you bid, we're pushing up the price. And we're like the third, fourth highest bidder out of like 10, 12, 15 bidders. I don't understand what's going on out there. I've talked to other firms. I've talked to the analysts, even at these other firms. This is what I'm hearing. Well, we just had to make the deal make sense. We penciled it out. We had to make a few assumptions. We assumed cap rates would compress. We assumed interest rates would stay low forever. We assumed the rent growth would continue to be where it is, 5% a year or whatever. And that's criminal. You're going to blow investors' money. So when you have two partners that underwrite the same way, then I should share my off-market deals with you and likewise. And it de-risks things too. Look, there are disagreements. Litigation is full of like real estate-related cases, but it's worth the squeeze. And if you have the shared alignment of trust and vision and values, it's the way to grow, I think, especially for newbies. Yeah, I agree. And I got to tell you, the mentality on the coast is a lot different than the Midwest and in the South. Here in real Cincinnati, rather, we have a tremendous real estate community where we give away all of our knowledge we'll ask colleagues to help us underwrite a deal and they very well could steal it, but it never happens. Right. And I've talked to people who've called me about looking at deals in the Midwest and they're baffled. And these are coastal people that are calling me and they're telling me that even amongst their closest friends, mm -hmm. they don't talk about the deals that they have in the works. And during get togethers, it's like, Hey, what are you working on? Ah, I got some things going on. Whereas here I'll share everything deals that I'm going to make an offer on. No problem. I'll even share them on this podcast. It's just a different mentality out here. 
You hit the nail on the head, and I should have mentioned the Blue Food Real Estate team is primarily located in the Midwest. So surprise, surprise, maybe beautiful in the Utah region, but also all over we buy. And Midwest is a key focus for us, by the way. Bluefoodcap.com. If you see, we've got a map that I coded. <laughs> you can see on there where you know our real estate is. But this is it, and I've been an LP in many funds, and they're very hesitant to share the deal with me because the deal isn't yet closed, and they're worried I might swoop in. And I'm like, I don't have time to do that. You're the one designing the blueprint. I'm not going to try to copy the blueprint. Yeah, but you have your own real estate activities too. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> if that's the level of distrust between an LP and a GP, there's not a fit there. But in the Midwest, it is different. I think that's a really key insight you pointed out. Yeah. And Zane, what you talked about just a minute ago about how these firms are possibly outbidding you guys on so many deals. I think it's the same reason that when you first try to give Bluefield money, they didn't want it. They didn't need it. Whereas a lot of other operators are just taking as much money as they can, and now they have to deploy it. Have to deploy it. It's just a machine that you have to keep feeding. And I think that's helping drive some of these compression and cap rates. I tell you, sitting as an LP here, and I don't do much anymore. I do everything via Bluefield now. Rarely do I invest outside of Bluefield via my family office. But I am shocked at some of the projections I get from funds where they're underwriting this in the mid-20% IRR. And yeah, because they had success the last three, four years, everyone was winning the last three or four years. What I liked about Bluefoot is every deal they've ever done, it needs to pencil out in the mid-teen IRR or less, maybe 10% IRR. But historically, they've achieved 30, 40% IRRs in some projects, even crazier amounts. I like that about them, that you set expectations with LPs and you under-promise, over-deliver. And I feel like if you do that for the long term, you are going to succeed in real estate because the industry is very, very small. I think you also alluded to the idea of people stealing each other's deals. Well, yeah, you do that once or twice, but if you want to stay in town and you want to build a reputation, people are going to reference check you. Sellers are going to reference check you. Buyers are going to reference check you. Banks are going to know what you're about. The industry is too small to try to make a quick buck. This is an industry that is very cliquey in a good way and a bad way. 100% agree with you. We'll get back to the show in a few minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll get some value in learning more about. How are you doing on your goals this year, whether it's planning for your goals or whether it's executing on those goals? I imagine one of them has to do with financial freedom, taking control of your finances. And I can tell you that is a possibility within the next one to three years using a proven system created by my friend, Michael Blanc. He's got the program Deal Maker Mentoring. Here are some of his students who have been in the program and what they've accomplished. Melanie McDaniel, she closed her first 24-unit joint venture deal and is now pivoting to become full-time in the industry. Within five months of joining, Cheryl Groovy from Atlanta, she had a 34-unit deal under contract, and she partnered with two other deal-maker mentoring students, and together they raised $700,000. And Brian Briscoe, he said thanks to deal-maker mentoring, he had the opportunity to accelerate his timeline and go after much bigger deals than he would have on his own. If you are ready to commit to achieving your dreams this year and you've been thinking about getting into multifamily, well, text the word Joe to 66866. Again, that's the word Joe. You know how to spell my name, right? J-O-E to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind, and let's get you started with your own syndication business. 
deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors. And I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate. And follow-up boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals or you can follow up with your investors and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners, then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Follow-up boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial, twice the length of the normal trial for a limited time. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. Does Bloomfield deploy their own capital or do you guys take on investors as well? It's mainly investors. We have a series of funds. We see a deal. We love the deal. Priority goes to the fund. Transparently, the best deals are going to come from our fund. But sometimes there's a deal that's a little bit too big for us to chew on. So we'll open that up to other external investors. People can come in and they'll invest in that SPV, which has a share in that real estate project. Typically, we'll also open that up to people we want to work with as well. There's a family office and we want them to build a long-term relationship with us. We'll offer that to them. But the priority usually goes to our fund. But then there's some deals that might not make sense. Like we've got one fund where it's focused a lot on cash flow and the investors want more safety where the preferred return is important. We're not going to basically do construction projects in that fund because we won't be able to catch up for many years. So we might set up a special fund or might go to a few LPs and say, look, here's a $50 million ground up construction play the payback is at least two or three years out. That flexibility has helped us a lot. Is there a minimum size deal that you look at? Minimum size deal? Uh, really depends. I'd say 10 million is probably the bare minimum. And I'd say 100 million is probably the maximum. If we're going north of 100 million, then that's what we want to partner with other funds. And you know what? Here's the other secret to real estate. It takes just as much work to do a large deal as it does to do a small deal. In fact, doing larger deals is way easier. It's easier because guess what? There's a data room. Things are generally more organized. Banks are also more willing to lend on it. And the fee structure makes a lot more sense. And here's the other painful thing I learned. I own a 35-unit building, personally. This is the smallest building I own. 35-unit building in, in South Texas. And when I want to replace that roof... I have to spend the same amount on that roof as a property that's about a mile away from me that has 35 units, but costs five times as much. So sometimes doing large deals is better because you get efficiency and scale. Yeah, so important. I've learned that lesson later in life, but a $500,000 strip mall that I had is actually <laughs> more work than a $5 million strip mall. 
your mom and pop tenants versus national tenants. And you have gross leases versus triple net. And those smaller properties can consume you. It's easier to manage the larger property. So I agree with you. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? Oh my God. Best real estate investing advice ever. I want to say something unique here. Find out what your strengths are. And for some firms or people, it might be, I like making deals. Real estate comes down to a few things. Deal making, right? Which is buying and selling properties or capital raising or management of the asset, or in some cases, development of the asset, like construction. Figure out where your strength is. And if you're not strong in those four areas, and I think those four areas are pretty important, construction, you can subtract that because that involves a whole new type of real estate. I'd say under management is renovation and rehab. Find out which areas you're strong in, double down on those areas, build that competence internally. And if you're not strong, find a firm that is the best in the world in that area, in that region, that asset class. Very important. Too many people try to do too many things themselves. The other thing I'd say that's much more unique because of my tech perspective is deal making is still about relationships, but property management is about technology. I promise today, I don't think traditional property management firms are going to survive unless they embrace the technology stack. There is so much opportunity to improve your revenues and decrease your costs by bringing in prop tech, which is property technology. And if management is one of those things, one of your viewers wrote down a piece of paper is something that they're good at, focus on tech. Otherwise, you're going to be like the frog in a bowl of water that slowly boils and you get boiled to death. That is actually happening in the real estate industry. Property management firms and even agencies, but property management firms have to embrace tech. So these are incredible lessons that you've learned in a short time that the rest of us suffered through and learned the hard way. So good for you. The value of having partners, I'm sure you learned a lot from them. Yes. And uh, being on the coast, being in tech, we do tend to partner a lot more. And I think I, I like that vision in real estate where it is about partnerships, but a lot of people want to own everything themselves. And this isn't monopoly. Real estate feels like monopoly because you can make a lot of money in it, but you can lose a lot of money, but you have to partner with others. And that's not very Monopoly-like. Yeah. Zane, you've got your pulse on a lot of different assets. What would you focus on going forward? Me or generic advice to a listener? I think generic advice in terms of hospitality, senior care, industrial, they all seem really appealing. Just pick one. It could be strip malls. It could be anything, right? Pick one. Focus on your geography. Understand that asset class. Become a sector expert. If you're asking for generic advice... It would be go really local and go really asset specific and don't make a single damn transaction until you've studied three months of the market. You've looked at every comp you can get. You've talked to every agent you can talk to. Don't pull any moves until then, okay? And then once you've done that, get a good damn attorney. Attorneys are so important. They can kill a deal. They can ruin everything for you. The accountants aren't as important. It's the attorney. Learn how to do financial modeling. And be smart with deal structuring. You can do seller financing. There's a lot of smart ways you can enter with very little capital, but be hyper-focused so that if a large fund comes in, they're not going to have the relationships you have and the knowledge you have of your sector. And ideally, let it be somewhere that's within travel distance from you, a couple of hours. Me, I have to take a whole week out to go to Texas. What a mistake that was. I should have done things locally in California. And I have done a few things locally in San Francisco. And it's so much easier to deal with. And I know people here. It's way harder when you're out of town. Well, wait a minute. What do you say to all those people in California and New Jersey and New York that say there's no good deals locally? Oh, How do you find deals in San Fran? 
There's always deals everywhere. I figured out an arbitrage opportunity I'll share with your listeners, okay? I'm going to try to summarize the model that I came up with, and it's still a model I think that can work. Everyone's saying San Francisco is way too expensive. It's very difficult to enter here because the cap rates are so low or whatever, and you can't make cash flow. When you buy assets, it's for appreciation and rubbish. I figured out San Francisco's market is unique, and every market is unique. But in San Francisco, we have condo units, and then we have TIC units. TIC unit means a tenancy in common unit. Basically, you're buying a share of a building. You're not buying an actual legal condo. I figured out, as far as a tenant's concerned, they don't care whether it's a TIC or condo. They'll pay the same rent. The TICs are 20 to 30% cheaper than condos. I started buying a bunch of TICs and I started making great cash flow. Even through COVID, I underwrote for five or 6% cap rates, but through COVID, it was more like four, 3%. That's way better than the average. I understood the market. I bid low in some cases. The ones I went in too low on were kind of garbage properties, but some of the premium properties are generating great cash flow. You can make money. You just have to be creative and understand the local market. And a so lot of it's off market too. Zane, TICs in New York are referred to as co-ops. And yeah. they often do not allow rentals. Is that not the case? Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, no, sometimes you have rules with some of these TIC or condo with the HOAs. That was okay for me. I wasn't looking for Airbnb shorts and furniture rental. Many of these buildings allow six month minimums. Okay. At least in San Francisco. I can't speak for New York. So understand the market. And when there's regulations like that, when there are certain factors in the market, play that as a strength. Some of these things you're talking about make it very unattractive for your average real estate investor to come into. Look at TICs. It's very hard to get a loan on. And there is a bit of risk. If one other TIC owner defaults on the property, you're liable for that person. Mortgage or you're liable for that person's repair costs because you own a fractional share in the building. But I made that a strength. I realized I can buy this 20 to 30% cheaper and I can now enter the San Francisco market and play arbitrage for the long term. So... The other thing too is when something's difficult to finance, strip malls, for example, can be difficult for lenders to have to wrap their heads around. Well, now guess what? If you focused on building knowledge-based in strip malls, finding some lenders that get the asset class, finding LPs that want access to this unique asset class called strip malls, which by the way, I think is up 14% or whatever when other assets in retail are down significantly. Then you figure out your magic. You're not trying to do a bit of everything. I love it. Zane, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Go for it, yes. All right, let's do it. Zane, what's the best ever book you recently read? I would say Blitzscaling by Reid Hoffman. It's got nothing to do with real estate, and it would make real estate people puke because it's about being super aggressive in technology. But man, it's a fun book. It's like how Airbnb and others spent a crazy amount of money blitzscaling their company and how sometimes that's the right thing to do for some companies. Zane, what's the best ever way you like to give back? What's the best ever way I like to give back? I've got my own private foundation right now, and we're talking about it a little bit more publicly. We did a lot of things anonymously before, but some of the things we're doing need a bit more public awareness. Climate change. We are the executive producer in a bunch of climate change documentaries we're producing throughout Asia. And we're also trying to make it more about real estate, too, because the construction industry is so bad with the amount of carbon emissions that are produced. And there's all these green loans and green financing initiatives you can tap into in the real estate sector. So naturally, I thought climate change is a good area to focus on. And our foundation does a lot of that. Zane, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Zane at proptechvc.com. That's proptechvc.com. That's a newsletter I have. I'm building a directory out of who all the investors are and companies are in PropTech. And also I've got a podcast 
which is focused on technology and real estate. It's called PropTech VC. Zane, I love your story. Thanks for joining us, sharing your experience of exiting tech, learning some lessons about real estate and just killing it now. So thank you for taking the time and being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Best ever listeners. Thank you for joining us and have a best ever day.